I have one word for you guys as we begin. You want to know what that word is? We're coming to wisdom. I got a word before wisdom, though. Very perceptive. Here's the word. Ready? Sex. Best sermon ever. Let's wrap up. Let me just say this, okay? We have been talking about wisdom. Now, somebody say wisdom. wisdom. Thank you. We've been talking about wisdom for the last few weeks. We've been looking at a whole number of different areas of life. And here we come today. We're going to be talking about wisdom in our sexuality. Here's what we've got to say before we say anything else. This is not weird. Okay? This is a part of life. God has a whole life for you. This is only weird if you make it weird. I'm not weirded out. I can talk about this all day. Don't tempt me, okay? So let's get over ourselves a little bit. It's okay. Somebody say, it's okay. It's okay. okay. Now, before we jump in to everybody's favorite subject matter, if you go to the next slide, just have a little bit of a running definition of wisdom for you. Just in general, wisdom is the ability to know what to do in any given situation that you face. You know what to do. You know how to get it done. You know when to get it done. You know with whom to get it done. And then importantly, you follow through and you get it done. That's what wisdom is. It's the ability to apply what you know. So here's an example. This will minister to us because of the week we all just had. If I know in my head that it's gonna rain on Wednesday, like it did every day this week, If I know in my head that it's going to rain on Wednesday, but then Wednesday rolls around and I make no provision for that, well, that's not wisdom. That's just a fact I did nothing with. Wisdom is, I know it's going to rain, so I'm going to take my umbrella with me, maybe an extra pair of socks. You see that? We good? Let that sink in. So that's what wisdom is. We're talking about that as it pertains to our sexuality. This applies to every single one of us. God has something to say to us today. So are we ready? Let's go. Part one of the message today is this. We need to understand sexuality. We're not even going to talk about the wisdom part of it yet. Just understanding sexuality. Because we might all come into this subject matter with different opinions or assumptions or thoughts or definitions. Let's get on to the same page, shall we? I looked up a definition of sexuality on the internet. Some of you guys, men are squirming in your seats, okay? Get over yourself. This is good, okay? Sexuality is, it involves sexual feelings, thoughts, attractions, and behaviors toward other people. I'll say that again. Sexuality involves sexual feelings, thoughts, attractions, and behaviors toward other people. So in other words, sexuality is about way more than just the act of sex. Oh man, you guys hate me already. It's way more than that. It's this whole bucket. It's this whole area of life that contains a whole bunch of things like attraction and desire and relationship and companionship and intimacy and oneness and things like flirting. Those all fall into the bucket of sexuality. And sexuality, super powerful. Super, super powerful. And that kind of creates a dilemma. Something that I've noticed in my experience, I've grown up in the church And in large part, on the one extreme, the church doesn't seem too eager to talk about sexuality. It's like, I haven't heard a lot of sermons in my life about it. I've heard some, not like every other week or anything, though. We don't want to talk about it a lot. I think somewhere along the lines, we've decided, we being the capital C church, 
we've said, oh, that's like gross and that's weird and we shouldn't talk about that and we shouldn't bring that into the church. To that I say, pasha, it's a part of life. We gotta talk about it. Pasha, you can write that one down. But then on the other extreme, we've got the church that doesn't wanna talk about it and then you've got the world that has gone completely wild with regard to sexuality, just running rampant. It's a dumpster fire. And the reason why the world is so hypersexualized is because the enemy, Satan, is trying to hijack sexuality. He is trying to weaponize it and use it against people because it's so powerful. That's why we look around and the culture is so hyper. We, we live in the most hypersexualized generation that's ever lived. You go anywhere and do anything, sex is right in front of you. You turn on the TV, there's the sex. You turn on the radio, there's the sex. You don't hear it or see it right away, wait for two minutes till the next song comes on and then you'll hear it, okay? You look at a billboard, there's the sex. You read a magazine, there's the sex. You go on the internet virtually any place and there's the sex. Am I talking to anybody today? This is the world we live in, it's crazy. And what the enemy is trying to do, he's trying to convince us that that is normal. Oh, it's normal to just have sexual stuff pushed in my face all day long, screaming at me all day long. Well, it's not normal. It's not the way it's supposed to be. Furthermore, we live in this culture where we've really grabbed hold of this ideology of just live your truth. Just do you. Live your truth. Whatever is true for you, you live that. We live in this woke culture as well where as a society we're saying, well, it's time for us to rethink and revisit all of the past assumptions and things that we grew up with and institutions can't be trusted. So whatever this says right here, this is old and antiquated. So we've got to just throw that aside and come up with our own rules and truth about what sexuality is like. That's the culture we live in and it's crazy. And here is the great lie of the enemy. The Lord just nailed me with this one this week. The enemy has this great lie that he tries to convince you and trick you of, and it's this. Sex is everything. And it's you must be sexually hyperactive in your life. You must be sexually expressing yourself in accordance with your truth, or else there must be something wrong with you. That is a lie from the enemy. So the result of all of this is we got the church that don't want to talk about it and we got the enemy that's weaponizing. No wonder there is such massive sexual confusion in our day. Massive, more than we've ever seen before. And yet in the midst of all of that, God wants us to live wisely in the realm of our sexuality. So if we're gonna understand sexuality, if we're really, let me say this, there is such thing as objective truth about sexuality. The world disagrees with me on that point, but it's true. And if we're gonna understand the truth about sexuality, you absolutely, positively, it's essential that you start with God. You must. In matter of fact, you've gotta start with the fear of the Lord. If you go to the next slide, you'll remember this verse. We read this a few weeks ago. Proverbs 9.10, the fear of the Lord is what? the beginning of wisdom. Now the fear of the Lord does not mean you're afraid of God and you're, you're doing this, you're wearing a hard hat, you're cowering like a bug under a boot because the moment you do say or think anything wrong, he's gonna squash you. No, that's not how God operates. The fear of the Lord, as we've talked about, is a healthy respect for God. It's a reverence for God. It's saying, okay, you are God and I am not. You are on the throne. I am not. You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I am not. So I'm going to humble, somebody say humble. humble. 
going to humble myself before you, God, in your sight. I'm going to align myself to you. I'm going to bring myself down a peg so I can see you as you really are. That's the fear of God. It also involves asking this question, okay, if you're God and I'm not, God, what do you want in my life? What do you want to see in me? What do you want to see embodied in me? What do you want from me? And God wants a lot of things from you, but by and large, you know what he wants? He wants you. God wants you. God wants a relationship with you. It's not just that he's some distant being out there somewhere and you never have anything to do with him. God wants to walk in a relationship with you. He wants to fill you with his spirit. He wants to walk in step with you and you with him. He, he wants to pour his love into you to, to overflowing. He wants you to know the joy of his presence. He wants you to involve him in every piece of your life. That's called a relationship. He wants to talk to you. He wants you to talk to him. That's, that's part of the fear of the Lord. So here's the point. We will get sexuality utterly wrong if we disregard the fear of the Lord. If we just never humble ourselves before the Lord and say, no, I'm gonna believe what I wanna believe and whatever you say, God, is secondary to what I say, you're gonna get this wrong. I'm just telling you. And also, if you forget the relational piece of all this, your relationship with God, that's also likely gonna lead you to getting sexuality wrong. Because, again, it's super powerful. And if you just say, well, I'll just make this a personal checklist and I'll try really hard to do all the things that God says about sexuality and your heart is not involved in that at all, you're likely gonna get swept away in the tidal wave. It's that powerful. God doesn't want heartless, robotic, going through the motions in your walk, in your faith. He wants that relationship. And let me tell you this, when you walk with God and when you are filled with the spirit of God, that is where you will have the power and the strength to get sexuality right. Okay, we good so far? Nobody laughed yet, that's good. Okay, that leads us to part two. This won't be the least bit controversial, or maybe it will. Part two is this, what God says about sexuality. Okay, so we've understood kind of what it is. We've understood that we need to look to the Lord if we're gonna understand it. Well, now we're gonna talk about what God actually says about sexuality. Now, I could point you to like a thousand I'm rounding. I could point you to many verses, okay? We could sit up here and go through 100 slides about verses about sexuality, what God says about sexuality. How about I just give you one? One sound okay? You can see it on the screen there. It's Genesis 2.24. That one verse says a lot. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. I gotta read that again. This is the word of God. I'm gonna read it again. In fact, why don't you read it with me out loud? Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Before I say anything else about that, you need to know that verse was given before the fall, right? This is before sin entered the world. In other words, this is God's ideal. This is how God always intended it for it to be. He's not, you know, adjusting to accommodate for sin or something. No, this was original. This is how he's always wanted it, okay? So what that tells us right away is that in God's mind, there is a particular arena where sexuality ought to find its full expression. There is a particular fenced-in area that's reserved, this, that, 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 that our sexuality is kind of reserved for that area, and it's called marriage. Somebody say marriage. marriage. 
And yes, there's a healthy, godly way to work up toward marriage and dating. Don't worry, we'll talk about that later. But by and large, you know what I'm saying? The, the, the four corners, the fence around this thing of sexuality, God intends that for that to be marriage. That's marriage is all through here. Man, leave his father and mother. Hold fast to his wife. They'll become one flesh. That's talking about the covenant of marriage. That word covenant that I just said, super important. Somebody say covenant. Covenant is a pretty biblical word. It's all through the scriptures. A covenant, you might think, oh, that's like a promise. Well, it is kind of like a promise, but it's way more than just a promise. A covenant is deeper than that. And a covenant is not like a contract. A a covenant is not an alliance. A covenant is not, I'll scratch your back if you scratch mine. No, a covenant is this, it's a commitment. It is a commitment that says, I am with you, I am for you, I love you, and I have your back, and I have your best interests at heart always, no matter what. Uh, That is a covenant. And God is a covenant maker. This is part of his character. This is what he's always been doing. God made a covenant, you can read it, with Noah in the book of Genesis. He made a covenant with Abraham. He made a covenant with Moses. He made a covenant with David. We have a new covenant through the blood of Jesus Christ. Have you heard that language before? Right, that Jesus on the cross, what he was doing is saying, look, this is how much I love you. I'm giving my life for you so that your sins could be forgiven, so that they could be wiped off the record, even though you can't do enough, say enough, try hard enough to earn your way into God's favor. Jesus died for you so that your sin could be taken away, so that you could walk freely into a relationship with God through faith. And Jesus said that His blood is the new covenant. His blood was shed for you. And if you're a Christian, his blood covers you no matter what. He is with you and for you and got your back no matter what. You are covered by the blood of the lamb. That's a covenant. You see that? Yes? This one here is a covenant. It predates all of those. That's the covenant of marriage. So God is not being nitpicky when he comes to marriage. He's literally speaking out of his character because he's a covenant maker. So yes, let it be known today, marriage is important. Marriage is specific. Marriage is exclusive. And I'm gonna tell you, here's where people in the world will start disagreeing with me. That paints a pretty clear picture about what is permitted and that gives us a pretty clear picture about what's outside of this fence and what's not permitted. Anything outside of the context of marriage, when you're talking about your expression, your full expression of sexuality, anything outside of marriage, it's not God's plan for you. Black and white. It's just not his plan. For instance, fornication. Not part of God's plan. That's having sex before or outside of marriage. Not his plan. Because what you're doing there is you're trying to take the covenant out of context. You're trying to say, oh, well, we're practically married. No, you're not. No, you're not. You're trying to go around the covenant. That's wrong. Lust is wrong. Lust is when you're just running hot for somebody who's not your spouse. That applies to you if you're single too. Like, yes, there's such a thing as a godly, healthy attraction. That's not the same thing. This is where you're just like a dog in heat. Pardon the expression, You're just like, you're ramped up. You're just, it's like God wants you to exercise self-control, okay? He doesn't want you acting like that. Not ministered to somebody, okay, okay. This here means that pornography's wrong. I don't care what your excuse is. I don't care how you're trying to justify your porn use to yourself. It's wrong. 
It's wrong because what you're trying to do, oh, by the way, you guys are smart people, you know this, pornography, that would include any sexually explicit material that either you look at, maybe uh, in a magazine or printed or it's on a screen or even in your mind. When you're dwelling on that stuff and you're using it for your sexual purposes, that's wrong because what you're trying to do is you're trying to express yourself sexually with no covenant. Eh, wrong. Not God's plan for you. And I'm going to vamp on the pornography one for a second. It's actually super destructive because when you watch porn all the time, what happens is you literally train your brain to think a certain way. Pathways, like I'm no scientist. Don't ask me the science and the chemistry, but it's true. Literally pathways will be formed in your brain. Chemicals released in your brain. You train yourself to think a certain way. You also, when you look at porn all the time, you start to objectify the people that you're looking at. I guarantee nobody looks at porn and says, wow, that person is made in the image of God. Wow, and God just loves that person so much. You're not thinking that. Give me a break. You're objectifying them and you're using them for your purposes. You're looking down upon them. There's no dignity in that. So that's wrong for there. Also, pornography will set you up in this way. You'll start to develop a type. You know what I say about a type? Oh, some people say, oh, well, it's, I, my type is blonde or brunette or tall people or whatever. Listen, show me the type thing in here. Show it to me. If you're married in this place today, I'm gonna tell you exactly who your type is. It's your spouse. That's your type. Quit fooling around here. So pornography, wrong. This means also that adultery is wrong. This is where you're expressing yourself sexually with somebody else who's not your spouse. And what you're trying to do there is you're breaking the covenant. Instead of holding fast to your wife, you're going off with somebody else and breaking it. And let me tell you something, friends. You can have an affair. You can have adultery without ever having sex. It got real almost quiet there for a second. When you're, when you're tied in with somebody, when you're emotionally connected to them too deeply and the cords are all twisted around, listen to me, that's not holding fast to your spouse. That's bad, that's wrong, okay? This also would mean that the whole multiple partners at once thing is not God's plan. This is singular up here, right? The multiple partners at once, some people are into that, but you're trying to just take the covenant and hijack it and multiply it. No, that doesn't work. It's exclusive. And yes, this also would tell us that same-sex activity is not part of God's plan either. How inappropriate for me to say that during Pride Month, right? But it's true. It's true. This says a man and a wife. You can see the language there. A man and a wife. I gotta just pause on that one again too. This is obviously, the, the, the same sex stuff is obviously a very large and charged topic in the culture. You can't just like fire the bullet out of the chamber and then walk away immediately. So just let's sidebar for a second. I understand that many people that experience same sex attraction, they didn't choose that, right? They didn't wake up one day and say, I think it would be societally convenient for me to decide to be attracted to people of the same sex. No, a lot of people say, I must have been born this way. I, as long as I can remember, as long as I can think back, I was attracted to people of the same sex. So when you start talking about this through a biblical lens, some people get really upset and they say, well, if God made me this way, why is he then telling me it's wrong? Isn't that God setting me up to fail? Have you ever heard people say that before? Here's the story on that one. I fully believe you, by the way. If you say, I've had this all my life, I'm not gonna argue with you. I believe you fully, but here's the deal. God, when he created the world, 
If you remember Genesis chapter one and two, God created and he said, this is good. This is good. This is good. This is very good, right? When God created the world, it was perfect. It was a place of wholeness, togetherness. Everything was right. Everything was in accord with God's will and God's heart and God's plan. But then sin entered the world, right? Sin entered the world and sin is an invasive species in this world. It was never meant to be here. And when you introduce an invasive species into an environment, it ruins and affects the whole thing. So yes, we still live in the world. It kind of looks like the earth God created. We're still people, like God created us in his image, like things kind of look normal. It's like this. Here's the weird example I thought of this week. If you bought a bag of chips at the store, okay, just seeing how hungry you guys were. You got a bag of chips at the store, looks like a bag of chips, but if somebody smashed it to oblivion like this, you know how it is at the bottom of the bag, you get the pieces that are like this, Somebody smashed your whole bag of chips to bits, you'd open it up. Well, I don't know, it looked like a bag of chips and they kind of look like chips in there, but they're all broken. They're, they're not, this is not how they're supposed to be. There are things happening in this bag of chips that are not part of the plan when they left the factory. You understand what I'm saying? It's like that with sin. There are things that exist and take place and happen in this world that are not supposed to be. Right? God never intended for certain things to happen, but because of the presence of sin in the world, everything's broken. Right? I, so, so like there's sickness, there's disease, there's suffering, there's all kinds of, there's injustice, there's all these things that God never intended. And the same sex attraction is right there. God never intended for that to be something that we'd have as human beings. But because of sin in the world, I'm not saying, oh, you committed a particular sin and therefore you know, you're cursed with that or something. That's not what I mean. But this world, is broken and there are things in the world that God never meant to be in the world. Do you understand what I'm saying? So, you have to understand, like we all, in different ways, wrestle with that. There are things in your life that are not really what God's heart is for you and not part of God's plan when he created everything. And as it comes to the issue of same-sex activity, what's kind of neat about the scriptures I think the capital C church has kind of gotten this one wrong a little bit at times. It's not like, oh, if you're just in some state of, you know, if you were gonna be attracted to somebody and it would be somebody of the same sex, well, if that's even a remote thought in your mind, well, hey, you're unsavable. You step out of this church, you're unclean, you're a leper, see you later. That's not really what the scriptures say. Yeah, the scriptures say that it's wrong. We're not gonna affirm that, right? We're not saying it's okay because it's not. But what the scriptures say, it's always the act. It's always the activity that's a sin. So if you are like someone that is same-sex attracted, that doesn't mean you're beyond saving. The question is, what are you gonna do with that? It's always, it's always the act. It's always the action. Same-sex, that illicit relationship or lust or pornography use or any sort of engagement and activity in that, that is where the sin is. It's not like, you, you know what I'm saying? You're not just constantly in a state of you're always doing something wrong sexually just because you might, you know, you know what I'm saying, you got me. Okay, we'll move on from that. And by the way, some of those things I just said, like the pornography use and the, the relationship you shouldn't be in, just saying heterosexual people can sin in those ways too. So let's not get on a high horse here, okay? We all wrestle, we all struggle with stuff. Anyway, unsidebar, let's get back on the road, okay. You might hear all that stuff and how exclusive that one verse is, Genesis 2, 24, and you might say, well, that seems really extreme. Like, 
I didn't think sexuality was really that big of a deal. I had somebody ask me a few months ago, younger guy, we were talking, this came up kind of organically and like pornography use came up and he's like, yeah, okay, like I know, I know like God wouldn't want a person to do that but this is what this person said to me, does that really affect you? Like does that really affect you down the road? I said, oh yeah, you better believe it does. So that's the thing with sexual immorality. It never seems like much but it's way bigger. There's stuff right under the surface and it can mess us up bad. Flip in your Bible to Proverbs chapter five for me. Do me a favor, go there, Proverbs five. This is a whole chapter that talks about sexual immorality, the whole thing. I wanna just read this to you, read some of this to you. It says in Proverbs 5, three, that the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey and her speech is smoother than oil. That's not just talking about adultery. That's talking about sexual immorality on the whole. What that's saying is, it's really tempting. It's really alluring. Proverbs 5.20 says, why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman? That word intoxicated, right? Like it lures you in. It's powerful. It doesn't look like much, but it affects you deeper than you realize. Not only is sexual immorality tempting, like, Let's all be honest. I think we've all struggled with sexual immorality of various kinds at some point in our life. Can we agree on that? Yes. Three of you are willing to admit it. The rest of you are still in denial. I love you anyway. You'll get there. Not only is it tempting, it leads you to ruin. Watch this, Proverbs 5, 6. It says, she, that's sexual immorality, kind of personified, does not ponder the path of life. Her ways wander and she does not know it. So we've talked all about how God has a life for you. Jesus said, I have come that you may have life and life to the full. But when you are caught up in sexual immorality, that says right there, there's no life in that. That's not gonna lead you deeper and into a more full experience of the life that God created for you to live. Next, uh, Proverbs 5, 9, and 10 says this. When you uh, are caught up in sexual immorality, you give yourself away. It says, when you do this, you give your honor to others, you give your years to the merciless, strangers take the fill of your strength, and your labors go to the house of a foreigner, is what it says. Verse 16 says this, should your springs be scattered abroad, your streams of water in the streets, you're, you're giving something away. Notice, by the way, the, the illustration there of water, like a spring of water. When you pour yourself out, when you engage in sexual immorality, that's like you take a cup of water and throw it on the ground. You can't get that back. You know what I mean? That you, you don't just scoop it up off the ground, right? You give yourself away. Also, there's regret attached to this. Again, if you've ever been caught up in sexual immorality, you know that this is true. Verse 11 says this, at the end of your life, you will groan when your flesh and your body are consumed and you say, how I hated discipline, how my heart despised reproof. I did not listen to the voice of my teachers or incline my ear to my instructors. I'm at the brink of utter ruin in the assembled congregation. That's talking about when you give yourself to sexual immorality. That's what it will cause in your life. There's also, it's possible for you to get attached and addicted to stuff. You just lose control. Look at verse 22. Talking about sexual immorality, the iniquities of the wicked ensnare him and he is held fast in the cords of his sin. This is serious stuff is what I'm trying to say. You don't look at sexual immorality and, and what God says about it and go, eh. No, this is super powerful and if you're not careful, it will destroy you. It will. 
And a wise person hears this. They take it to heart and they take it seriously because God takes it very seriously. So here's what I want to do now. We'll go to part three. You guys are doing great. I'm patting you on the back proverbially from up here, okay? Part three is this. I want to get right into specific sexual wisdom about some stuff today. We're going to get specific in here. The Lord gave me a word this week. I kind of already said it, but I'm going to say it again. Another great lie of the enemy is that sex is everything, right? Some of you guys, I love you. Some of you guys have bought into that. Some of you guys have said, I'm gonna go after this. And you've spent years and you've spent resources and you've spent yourself and you've spent time just going after this, putting sexuality right at the center of your life. It's not, it's one area of your life. It's one, just one. Let me say it this way, sexuality is a gift to be enjoyed, not a God to be worshiped. Some of you guys have gotta stop worshiping it. A wise person knows how to rightly approach this powerful area of their life. They know how to approach it wisely and not let it occupy an unhealthy space in them. I'll even just say this. If you're hearing this and going, okay, Braden, I'm hearing your words, but you don't know the wrestle and the struggle that I have. I wanna do what God wants me to do, but the pull is so strong. Listen to me, it is possible to get this area right in your life. It's possible. If you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit. He will give you the strength. It is possible. Don't, don't quit fighting, seriously. I stumbled onto a verse, you can see it on the screen there, that we're gonna just kind of refer to a whole bunch through the rest of our time together this morning. It's Proverbs 5.15. We're still in Proverbs 5. Talking about sexual immorality, right? And here's what it says. Drink water from your own cistern. A cistern is like a well or like a pit. It's talking about water. Drink flowing water from your own well. Let me read that again. That just floored me when I saw that. Drink water from your own cistern. Flowing water from your own well. You know what that is talking about? You know what the Lord is saying to us today in that verse? Sexually, stay in your lane. Stay in your lane. God is sovereign. That means he is in control and over all things. He's all powerful. He's all knowing. He's all seeing. He's all present. God loves you very much. God has a plan for your life. And in God's providence, he has appointed you a particular lot in your life right now with regard to your sexuality. Some of you guys are single. Some of you guys are dating. Some of you guys are married. Some of you guys are divorced. Some of you guys are widowed. You have to understand that God knows all of that. God sees you and God wants to lead you and guide you in that. Do you understand what I'm saying? So we gotta trust in the Lord in this. Stay in our lane. So here's what I wanna do. We'll break this down a few ways this morning. I wanna talk first sexual wisdom for single people. Single people. Some of you guys are single people. And there's different kind of, there's different ways you can be single. That's not the right way to say that, but you know what I mean. I wanna talk, if you're in the room today and you're single and you're young and unmarried, you're not at the age for marriage yet, though that's not one hard and fast number. If you're young and unmarried, you're single, what does it mean for you 
to drink water from your own cistern and flowing water from your own well. Again, it's about remembering that God is sovereign over your life. You say, well, I don't know. I, I don't have a relationship yet. I, I, I don't know. How's that going to work out? Like, is God going to provide someone? Is gonna... Don't freak out. Don't panic. You have time. That's what I'm saying. It's all right. God is sovereign. He loves you. He's got a plan for your life. And it's about trusting God and walking with God and acting in faith until, if, he shows you that person down the road. That verse on the screen there, Song of Solomon, chapter eight, verse four, says, for the young unmarried singles in the room, do not awaken love before it's time. Again, the lie from the enemy is you gotta rush into it. You don't. You're gonna be okay, right? You've gotta express yourself sexually. You've gotta go for it. Not really. The truth is this. You gotta trust and you gotta pray and you gotta seek the Lord. And again, if God reveals a person to you down the road, okay, explore that. Pray about that. God, is this a person you want me hanging around with and dating and seeing where this goes? Some of you guys are adults and you're single. Watch my hands. You're past marrying age. I don't know. And you're single. You never had that relationship. You never got married. Some of you guys are perfectly content in that place. That's awesome. You say, I never married. I'm good. I have a life. I'm doing great. Praise the Lord. That's wonderful. However, I know, I know, I know that there are people who are single, who never married. And there's a degree of shame about that. Oh, there must be something wrong with me. Why didn't anyone want me? All this stuff, listen to me, that's from the enemy. That is not God speaking that over you. Being single, you wanna know how God views being single? He views that as a super dignified position. Like you might convince yourself it's not, oh, I'm less than, that's not how God sees it. Look at that verse on the screen. Look at 1 Corinthians 7.38. He who marries does well, If you're married, good for you. But he who refrains from marriage will what? Do even better. God said that. Hello. So don't let the enemy kick the dirt in your face about that. If you're single, man, that's dignified and God will use that and God will honor that. You're loved, you're needed, you're valued. Hear the word of the Lord today on that. Your identity is not, ah, I'm the person that never got married. Your, person, your identity, if you're a Christian, is you're a child of God in Jesus Christ. Remember that. And I'm not saying this as a placeholder to make you feel, this is literally what God says. Okay. Some of you guys are single because you've gone through a divorce and you're now single. Room got real quiet as I expected it would. Right? And if you're in that place, you might be saying, well, look, I don't know, what, what is my future with regard to my sexuality? Where, where is God leading me in this? Here's a really helpful pastoral answer for you. I don't know. I don't know. I'm not God. You should ask him, right? But this one's a tricky one, right? Because obviously there's, you know, you go through a divorce, there's hurt, there's baggage, there's stuff to heal from, and it would seem unwise to just jump right back into a relationship as soon as that happens. But then you factor in the fact that in different places in the scripture, like Jesus said, there are occasions where if you are divorced and you remarry, like you could be committing adultery, right? So it's just a a big kind of complicated thing. But here's my encouragement to you from the word is this. 
pray. Pray, pray, pray the lights out. Seek wise counsel. Like this is one of the reasons why God gives us brothers and sisters in the faith, wise people, like leaders in the church. There are people that you can talk to and share stuff with. Bring them into the fight with you. I don't know if God has a relationship for you in the future. I don't know whether it's his will that you'll stay single the rest of your life. I don't know, but my point is he does. So you gotta trust in him. And I'll say this to you. If you're here today and you have gone through a divorce, maybe it was a long time ago, maybe it's more recent. Here's what I'll say to you by way of encouragement is this. You are not defined by the mistakes that you made. You're also not defined by the sins that someone else committed against you, okay? Maybe they were really bad. Maybe you were a complete fool, okay? That happens. But God loves you. God has not given up on you. God has not tossed you aside. You have have great value to God and to your church and to the kingdom, you have great worth. Next one is this. Some of you guys, some of you guys are single in the room because it's by way of being a widow. I almost thought about not including this one, but I really felt the Lord say, no, no, you gotta press in. Some of you guys are single in your life right now because you were married and that person passed away and you're walking through that. Maybe it was a long time ago. Maybe it was more recent. doesn't matter. Drinking water from your own cistern, I don't know what that looks like for you. Oh, is, does God have another relationship in store for me? Like I was married, I don't even, I, I was married to this person for 30, 40, 50 years. I can't even picture like being with somebody else. You gotta trust in the Lord. Okay, he might have for you to be single the rest of your life, he might not. I can't tell you that. That comes through you trusting him and in your walk with him. And again, the wise counsel. But I want you to especially notice that verse right there on the bottom of the screen. I I, I just wanna speak this over you if you're widowed in this room today. Blessed, this is Jesus Christ said this, he said these words. Blessed are those who mourn. That's obviously a part of, of being a widow, you're grieving, you're mourning. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be what? Comforted. God spoke that. God means that. Yes, there's grief. Yes, there's a hole. Yes, of course there is. But God loves you. And God has, what that tells me right there is God has a special grace for you. God literally wants to show up in your life in a certain way to meet you in that area. So I wanna just speak this word out to you if you're widowed. Yes, yes, it hurts. Yes, it's hard. Yes, it's painful. You don't have to pretend like it isn't, but God is good. God loves you. God has not given up on you. God is with you. And I believe you will see the goodness of God in the land of the living. Friends, God is good. We must cling to that. We must. There's no other choice. All the single ones, let me just sum that up again. Drink water from your own cistern. Stay in your lane. Trust the sovereignty of God. He knows that you are single right now. He has a plan for your life. Maybe it's to stay single, maybe it's not, but you gotta trust in him. 
but drink from the, the, the cistern where he has planted you right now. Don't try to hang a left and do it your own way in your own power. God's ways are way better. We good here? Okay, I wanna talk about sexual wisdom for married people next then. If you're married, this one's for you. Let me just say this. What, I didn't even say it yet. <laughs> Marriage is not all about sex, okay? It's a part of it, but it's not everything. See that great lie again? Like I've heard tell of people who are married. For instance, wives who will say of their husbands, like this guy is a buffoon and all he wants is sex. Marriage is more than sex, okay? I didn't get an amen on that one. I don't know why, what happened? No, but it's about more than that. It's about loving your spouse, respecting your spouse, being friends with your spouse, doing life with your spouse, being intimate in other ways with your spouse. Some of us need to learn how to be intimate in other ways than just sexual intercourse. Go on a date, hang out together, talk to each other, right? Heart to heart, pray together, right? That's part of the relationship. Yes, the sex is a part of it. Look what it says in 1 Corinthians 7, 5. Do not deprive one another. Now how about an amen? Okay, never mind. Don't deprive one another. That's an important part of things, right? But again, it's not everything. But if you're married, drink water from your own cistern. You know what your cistern is. It's your spouse. It's your husband. It's your wife. Stay, hold fast to that person. Enjoy the relationship. Enjoy the benefits of it. I, uh, this is funny. Someone might get mad at me for saying this. I'm gonna say it anyway. I heard a pastor, uh, it was Pastor Eric Mason. He's from Philadelphia and he was doing like a panel discussion and this came up and someone asked, uh, what is, you know, within the confines of biblical, Christian, godly marriage, are there things that are like allowed or not allowed when you're talking about the sexual stuff? And this is literally what his answer was. He said, if you're married, go read Song of Solomon and go to town, is what he said. <laughs> so amen and amen. Thank you, Lord, for that word. Okay, anyway, but you gotta stay in your lane. You gotta hold fast to your spouse. I'm especially like, yes to the women in the room, but men, time to rise up. Let's love our, uh, love our wives well in here, okay? All right. Next thing is this, I'm almost done. Sexual wisdom for people who are dating. Dating is difficult. And again, the enemy is all over dating. He is trying to ruin dating. You watch any TV show, I don't even care what you're watching, probably not like touched by an angel or something, but like most TV shows, here's what it goes. Someone in the show enters into a relationship and they are confused and overwhelmed, so they go to their friends or their coworkers and say, uh, after what date am I supposed to have sex with this person? First, third, like do I take them to dinner? It's like every show is like that. You've seen them, it's like that. And so it's the great lie creeping in again that hey, if you're dating, right, rush right into the sexual activity, gotta go for it, it's everything. It's not, pump the brakes, okay? Pump the brakes. Again, there is an arena a fenced-in area for the full expression of your sexuality. It is called marriage. Dating is not the same as marriage. It's not the same. Oh, we live together, we're practically married. You're not. Oh, we've been together for a while. You're not married. 
Don't pretend like you are. It's different. There's no covenant when you're dating. The covenant comes when you're married. It matters. It's important. It's spiritual. And dating, let me say this too. Some people say, oh, well, dating is like the test drive for marriage. So I better sleep with this person. I better shack up with this person because how am I going to know if it's going to work if I'm married to them, right? No. Oh, no. Seriously. That is not how it works. That is not God's path for you and God's plan for you. Let me say this. It is possible to date in a godly way, though. It is possible for you to be walking with the Lord, seeking the Lord, and then a person comes into your purview and you say, oh, I wonder if there's anything there. God, like, is that someone you might be lining me up with? Am I interested in this person, right? You can pursue this without just completely firing all the bullets out of the chamber and then asking questions. No, pump the brakes, people who are dating. It's okay, you're gonna be okay. Uh, Song of Solomon 8.4 again, I'll have it on here. Do not awaken love before it's time. If you're dating, it's not time yet. The time is not now. Yes, you can be friends. You can get to know the other person. You can even be some degree of affectionate. It's not like, oh, I held their hand. God is gonna step on me now. But do not awaken love before it's time, right? Don't go there. In fact, if you're dating, if you are a Christian and you are dating somebody, let me say it this way. If you're a Christian, you should not be dating a non-Christian. I'm not judging you. I'm not trying to just tell you how to feel, but the Bible clearly says, do not be unequally yoked. If you're dating, you're choosing to be unequally yoked to that person who's not a Christian. That is not wise. God would not have you do that. But let's say you are both Christians. The sexuality thing is still super powerful. It's still, look, listen, listen, you need boundaries. You need to like talk about them together. You need to say them out loud. You need to stick to them. You need to reference them often. Because if you have no boundaries, you've got no guardrail, guess what's gonna happen to you? Off the side of the cliff, right? I don't care how strong you think you are. The urges are stronger, okay? I'm just, this is a real thing. I'm talking to somebody. It says in Proverbs 6, 27 and 28, this is just very, very appropriate for this. Can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes not be burned? Or can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? That section of Proverbs 6, guess what that's talking about? Sexual immorality. If you have no boundaries, if you're just playing with fire, you're gonna get burned. You are. Oh, well, I'm really strong, Braden. Don't worry, we got this under control. Listen to me. You're not the exception to the rule. You're probably one that's included in the rule. Okay, so be wise, be smart, set up boundaries, do this God's way. Here's what I'll say to you if you're dating. If you would trust your relationship to the Lord, if you would submit yourself unto him and say, God, I wanna do this your way, I promise you that you can avoid a certain degree of pain that you would otherwise come into if you disregarded what God said. You can actually avoid pain by doing it God's way. You can actually, if you will like hold back and not jump into this too soon, if you would not awaken love before it's time, you would actually like get to know your significant other on a deeper level than just the sexual one because you're more than sexual. That's one part of life. You would actually discover, oh, this is a real person. I like being around them and it has nothing to do with sex. You might work toward marriage and then when and if you get married, that's when you can enter into the full expression of your sexuality. 
Like God's not trying to keep from you, he just wants you to experience his blessing in the best way possible. You can actually make, you can actually do well if you would do it God's way, but you gotta trust him. That is wisdom. Let's wrap this up before I make anybody else uncomfortable, okay. Again, the great lie of the culture is that you've gotta be sexually hyperactive. You've gotta just be going for it all the time. If sex isn't a main part of your life, something that you've got right in front of you all the time, then you're a loser. If you're not living your truth sexually, there's something wrong with you. That is a lie from the pit of hell right there. God has a whole life for you. Somebody say a whole life. Yes, sexuality is one part of that, but you will never, never experience the fullness of life if sexuality is your God. You will never, it will never satisfy you. You wanna know the way to truly live? You don't just look at the sexual or any other thing of the world, you look to the spiritual first. If you're not a Christian here today, this is where it starts for you. You've got to trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, the salvation of your soul. He loves you. He died for you. He wants to give you new life. He wants you to walk with him. He wants you to make the most out of this life and experience eternal life. If you're not a Christian, it starts there. You surrender your life to Jesus today, including your sexuality. Those of us, most of us in the room are Christians. We still have to do this too, not get saved again, but we've gotta humble ourselves before God. We've gotta surrender ourselves to him anew and afresh. We've gotta trust him. We've gotta walk with him. We've gotta humble ourselves to the point of obedience to him. We've gotta trust him in this area of our lives for sure. That is the beginning of wisdom, the fear of the Lord. You wanna get sexuality right, it starts with the fear of the Lord. The path to sexual wisdom is not Oh, well, will I just live my truth? It's will I trust Jesus with my sexuality? That is the question on the floor. Will you trust Jesus with your sexuality? I can't force you to, but he is inviting you to today.